Welcome to something to wrestle with. Brett's Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. It, 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 was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. Fuck you, Bruce. I love you. Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm just having the happiest of New Year's. How's everything down at the Conradison? Have you have you been able to uh, go through the entire compound and and check everything with all of your uh, different servants and stuff? Yeah, we had a big week here. We uh, rang in the new year with a lot of cheer, and Alabama won their bowl game, and Auburn lost theirs. So. It was, uh, it was a good week here at the Conradison. How's everything in Connecticut? Cold, cold. We had a little dusting of snow by God and, uh, not the good kind of dusting, but, uh, it's nice and cold, but it's, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. If you will. Well, speaking of snow, we're covering the iron cheek today. Uh, for it to be Bubba. Pretty excited about this. Uh, now you're gonna have to help me though, because, uh, I'm a hillbilly. From uh, Abalama, as you like to say, what was the Iron Shake's real name? Castro Vaziri. Yeah, so there now, you go. if you were to were to listen to uh, one of the other guys that you do a podcast with, they for some reason thought that uh, his name was Cosgrove. Oh, Cosgrove! Now his name was Castro. That's his, his real name. We'd call him Cos, uh, but not Cosgrove. Just gotcha. Well, Cosgrove was born March 15th, 1942. Goddamn hillbilly. <laughs> In Tehran, Iran. Uh, he grew up very, very humble. I uh, had little, his family had very little money, no running water. Uh, when he's a kid, he, uh, idolizes an Iranian, uh, Olympic gold medalist and essentially yeah, he wants to become a great amateur wrestler himself. And he does. And I guess amateur wrestling is pretty big over in Iran. In fact, when Kurt Angle won his gold medal, uh, he defeated uh, an Iranian on the way there. Ah, for to be Jabroni Kurt Angle. He not beat my Iranian champion. He had the judges say, I say, a fuck he on Atlanta and for it to be the Olympic bullshit. I stretch Kurt Angle, humble him. I love that you always Bitch. use for to be for him. Uh, Shiki baby worked as a bodyguard for several years and, uh, he's excelling in amateur wrestling to the point that he even makes the Greco Roman wrestling team. He represents Iran in the 68 summer Olympics in Mexico city. And after the Olympics, he moves to the United States and becomes an assistant coach on two U.S. Olympic squads in the 70s and 71. He's the amateur athletic union Greco-Roman wrestling champion and gold medalist at 180.5 pounds. He later becomes an assistant coach of the U.S. team for the 72 games in Munich. Uh, there's a lot going on here. 
and he's right in the middle of all of it. Um, did you ever have a conversation with Sheik about those 72 Olympics? Oh my God. Uh, yeah, it's, it was crazy. You know, and you, you look back in the early days of, of Khosrow Faziri, the iron Sheik, he was actually, I mean, he was such a badass in the country of Iran that he was a bodyguard for the Shah of Iran. And it, it was a very precarious position. And then the way that Kaz got out of it was because of his ability, because of his athleticism and that he was going to represent Iran in, in the Olympics. And of course, in the 1972 Olympics, the gorillas overtook one of the compounds. And, and I remember as a kid, and you got to remember, it's 1972. I think I'm eight years old or whatever, nine years old. And, you know, you just see what you see on TV and hear what you hear on TV. And they kept talking about the gorillas the that had taken over the Olympic Village. And they would talk about how the, they would uh, have cameras on. And we didn't have 24-hour news in 1972. But they had cameras out there. It's like one of these guys would poke their head out, whatever. And they would be wearing like big ski mask or shit. And I was thinking, Oh my God, you know, their gorillas are wearing masks. I thought it was, they, they had actually been taken over by actual gorillas, shoot gorillas, shoot gorillas, shooting gorillas. Like I thought monsoon was there and fucking stretching everybody and shit. But yeah, cause was it right in the middle of all that shit. And it was a pretty scary time for everyone that was involved in those Munich Olympics. And, and cause made his way out to the other side. And his dream was to come to America, the United States of America that I love for to be. Well, and he follows up on that dream after the Olympics here. Uh, he's invited to become a pro wrestler by Vern Ganya. Obviously Vern sees a big upside with a guy with this sort of background and legitimate reputation. So he gets in Vern's, I guess, infamous training camp, ironically, the same camp as the nature boy, Ric Flair. So world champions are coming out of this class. Uh, after he graduates training, he starts uh, working for Vern's AWA and he eventually becomes a trainer at Vern's camp himself. He helped train guys like Ricky Steamboat and Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel. And it's kind of amazing to think, but because of his you know, success in the Olympics, he starts his career as a babyface, but then quickly turns heel and sort of patterns some of his look after the original Sheik. And he even changes his appearance drastically. He shaves his head bald. He grows the mustache. He starts wearing the, uh, the curly Q toes on his boots. And, uh, he's wrestling under the name, the great Hussein Arab. Uh, when do you first remember seeing him as a pro wrestler? Is this somebody you saw as uh, as a kid on TV or, or at the shows in Houston? Oh my God. I, I saw him probably the first time, 1973, 1974, as he, he worked as Ali Baziri, uh, when he came to Dallas and he, he came to Dallas and worked the territory there and would come to Houston, tremendous amateur background. The only thing was that he was small. He was much smaller than everyone else and, you know, didn't have the girth or, or the thickness that he, he later acquired. But 
he worked as Ali Vaziri, very bland, very, um, he was a shooter. He, he was just a straightforward wrestler, but not a lot of color and nothing really, you know, he was hard to understand and he couldn't cut a promo, but Vern liked the shooter aspect of it that, you know, this guy was the real deal and could probably kill anybody in the arena if he chose to. And Paul Bosch in, in Texas also liked that, but that was about as far as you could go with him. Vern actually made him a referee for a period of time just because he was, he was so small. And that, that's kind of funny when you think back in that time where Greg Gagne was being featured and Greg's smaller than Kaz. Um, but that's just, you know, the way that it was. And so I think Kazro as Ali Vaziri wasn't setting the world on fire and adopted the, the great Hossein, which was going to evolve into the Iron Sheik, baby. And he did it mid-Atlantic, and he just completely changed everything up and you know, shaved the head, grew the mustache, a little handlebar mustache, and, and did the Sheikipoo gimmick. And from, from there, he came back to Texas, and uh, he came back in to work for, for the Dallas office and what have you. And this had to be 1978-ish, maybe, maybe 1979 in that area. But this was also during the time that my brother Tom was really, you know, getting serious about training and taking every opportunity that, that he could to get in the ring with anybody, anybody that would train him. And Paul Bosch asked Cosro, uh, he had another big football player, bodybuilder that thought he wanted to be in the business. And so Paul sent Tom and the bodybuilder to the building early one night and asked Kaz, would you get in the ring and just roll around with these guys, see if there's anything there? The, the other guy, whether it was football player, bodybuilder, whatever, he didn't last. Like he didn't, he didn't even last 30 minutes in the ring with Kaz. But uh, Tom did, you know, and Tom took his ass whooping and got stretched. And, and the best story is, is when they went to lock up in a collar and elbow tie up. Kyle showed him how to do it one time. He said, okay, now we lock up. And Tom locked up exactly the opposite way Kyle's had just shown him. And that was the beginning of uh, Tom's cauliflower ears. <laughs> because Kyle's knocked the living shit out of him and explained to him in no uncertainty. You do exactly as I show you, Baba. You know, I'm not fucking going like this. I fucking go like this. You go like that for Shiki, baby. And that was a tough lesson, but Tom came back, and that was those old timers in the day. That's what they looked for. If you came back, then they would take the time to, to train you and take you to the next step. And uh, it was... Kaz didn't do big business for us at that time. You know, it was he was still a mid-carder because promos weren't that good. And there was a situation in Fort Worth where the end of the night, Kaz is in the dressing room taking a shower, and a 
fan wandered into the dressing room and the, the young man was, uh, mentally, uh, challenged and special. And he didn't, he didn't understand. He just saw one of his wrestling heroes, you know, in the shower and, and cause being a heel went after him. Huh? And this kid scared to death, um, runs out and it was a, a legal battle and a whole big lawsuit that just kind of went away because, well, Cosro went away. And next thing you know, you're hearing about this guy, the Iron Sheik in, in New York, and people are talking. People are buzzing. The Sheik fucked the kid up? He didn't. He just came out and yelled at the kid and scared the kid. But when the kid came out, you know, he didn't know exactly what had happened. He's trying to explain uh, to his parents what had happened. And to them, they're hearing that he came out of the shower and, and attacked the kid, which he didn't do. He just scared the kid and chased the kid out of the dressing room. And the kid was just scared to death. So it was it was a crazy deal, but one that um, being in the United States, fresh from Iran, when I say fresh from Iran, it's, it's still only about five, six years. And Sheik didn't want to do anything that would jeopardize him uh, not being able to stay in the United States. All right, Bruce, let's run a timeout right now to talk about something pretty important. Uh, you know, here's the question for you. You know, if you're sleeping eight hours a night, check, you're eating a good diet, check, you're exercising pretty regularly, at least in the new year, check. Well, if you're doing basically everything right to ensure you have a long life, isn't it time you make sure you're financially rewarded for your commitment to a healthy lifestyle? Here's what we're talking about. Health IQ. You see, Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates for people like you on their life insurance. So if you're a runner or a cyclist, maybe you're into CrossFit or some other type of weekend warrior athlete, maybe you're vegan or vegetarian. Dude, you deserve to be rewarded for your hard work with more affordable life insurance rates. Health IQ can save you up to 41% because physically active people have significantly lower risk for things like heart disease, cancer, and even diabetes. And by the way, Health IQ, not just a lead generator. They, ca- they take the customer through the entire process of applying and then the policy is underwritten by one of our top insurance partners. We should mention these savings. Now that's exclusive to Health IQ. You won't find them anywhere else. And you must qualify in order to get a special rate. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com forward slash wrestle to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz. Depending upon your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premium compared to other providers. Again, that's healthiq.com slash wrestle and let them know we sent you and start the process with Health IQ's quiz. There's no commitment. You'll even learn more about potential opportunities to be rewarded for your commitment to living healthy. One last time, that's healthiq.com forward slash wrestle. And Bruce, we haven't talked about it in a while, but health insurance is an important part of life that everyone listening to this should pay a little more attention to. It sure is. And in the time that it took, 
you to go through that. I pulled up healthiq.com and you would be amazed just when you look at the front page and you can see that you could save up to 41% on life insurance, save up to 33% on Medicare supplement and much, much more. It's simple. It's easy. And now is the time to be thinking about the future. Go check it out. Healthiq.com forward slash wrestle. He has an interesting you know, sort of backstory before he gets to the WWF, because as you mentioned, you know, he was working through the territory. So, you know, he'd bounce around mid South and mid Atlantic and captures the mid Atlantic title from Jim Brunzel goes to Georgia, uh, works in Georgia championship wrestling and, um, uh, gets the national TV title with Ronnie Garvin and has some matches with dusty Rhodes and Dick Murdoch and Tommy rich. He even makes a tour of Japan and wrestles Noki. Uh, and then in 79, he finally lands in the WWWF, uh, and he wins the first ever battle Royal that's held in Madison square garden, which earns him a title shot later in the show against Bob Backlund and lots of greats, you know, are there that night in this one, gorilla monsoon, Eric Valentine, Ivan Putsky, Haystack Calhoun, uh, Nikolai Volkov, SD Jones, Johnny rods, Tito Santana, Johnny and Jerry Valiant, Ted DiBiase. So lots of names you would recognize even here in 79 of the world worldwide wrestling federation. Of course, we know Backlund's going to get the win, but they get plenty of time in this title shot, 30 minutes and 40 seconds. Um, as Albano is, and he's substituting for Freddie Blassie here. Uh, he's going to, uh, accompany Sheik to ringside. And as he's leaving ringside, he goes up. To Vince McMahon and Vince McMahon threw his drink in Albano's face. So pretty notable night at the garden here in 79 and he would stick around, uh, and then ultimately leave in 80, but on his way there, you know, he would have feuds with Bruno San Martino, who's obviously the tippy top guy and chief J Strongbow, And he finally comes back in 83 after bouncing around the territories in the early eighties. And he's going to, uh, quickly challenge Bob Backlund, who's still the world champion. And now it's a rematch. And, uh, Bob would, uh, first take on the iron Sheik in the Sheik's Persian club challenge on the December 24th episode of all American wrestling. Um, uh, tell everybody about the Persian club challenge, why this was unique. And I mean, it really was a big part of Sheik's character here. It was and the Persian clubs were these workout clubs that had a, they had a handle but they down at the end, they were much wider and much heavier. And I think each, each club was about maybe 50 pounds and you had to get them up now to hold them up straight, just in and of, the, of, of itself. That was very difficult. You had to have some incredible strength to do that. But then you would take the clubs and you would pass over your head with your right, with your right hand while holding the other one in your left, bring it back around and then do the same with the left. And he would do this in succession. Um, the, the the stamina and the skill, it's, it's a skill. First of all, you do have to have tremendous strength to even get the damn clubs up. But then you have to, it, it's technique. And if you know the technique, you can do it. And you can do it for a while if you know the technique. But most people, it's, it's very, it's an awkward exercise. And, it, and it's not something that was practiced uh, especially in, in the United States at that time. So Sheik used to bring these clubs and he would challenge members of the audience. 
if you could come in and you could do Sheik's clubs, that as long as you do them, Sheik has to do it twice as long. Okay. Nobody could, nobody could do it. I mean, every once in a while you'd get a ringer who would go in and maybe be able to do it for a couple of minutes, you know, get the hang of it and do it. And she could still blow him out of the water and, and do it longer. He just was in that kind of shape and he was that kind of extraordinary athlete. So that was, you know, one of Sheiky's, one of Sheiky's things. And it always killed me because I don't know whatever happened to his clubs, but in later years, he had some metal ones made with just weight at the end. I mean, he could still do it. He could probably do it today. I'll bet you. Um, he doesn't get around walking very well, but I bet you she could still do the clubs to this day. And it was, it was just one of those really cool gimmicks that set Sheik apart from everyone else and, and made him a little bit different. We should mention that during this challenge, of course, you know what this dastardly Sheik is going to do. He's going to attack, uh, from behind. He's going to injure his neck going into the world title match two days later. So on December 26, 1983 at MSG, the iron Sheik would defeat Bob Backlund to win the WWF world title. Uh, As you may remember from the story, Sheik puts the camel clutch on Backlund, but Backlund doesn't submit. Instead, his manager, Arnie Scullin throws the towel in forfeits the championship. And with this win, the iron Sheik became the first and only Iranian world champion in WWE history. So big moment. Uh, and obviously we're going to play off of that in 1994, which we've talked about before when Backlund is wrestling Bret Hart in a submission match for the world title. You weren't there at the time, but this had to be on everybody's radar. Backlund had been the champ forever and a day. Anytime the title changed hands in New York, it was a big deal, was it not? Hell yeah. And this was uh, especially a big deal because I don't think anyone was looking at the Sheik to be the guy during this time. And Bob had had a hell of a run as the WW, I think it was WWF at that point, uh, champion. So for Sheik to come in and win that pretty quickly was a big feather in Sheiky Poo's cap. And he stepped right into it. Backlund, it was time for the Backlund era to kind of move to the side as Hulkamania was running wild and starting to take over big time. Yeah, clearly, in case you haven't put that together, we're going to be a transitional champion here a month later, January 23rd, 1984, Madison Square Garden. Sheik is supposed to have a rematch with Bob Backlund, but instead Bob is replaced by Hulk Hogan. And of course, Hulk pins Sheik to win the world title and wrestling is forever changed. Uh, this is the beginning of Hulkamania, but what everybody wants to know now, and I know you weren't there, but you know, the players Iron Sheik has come out and said that Vern Gagne offered him a hundred thousand dollars to shoot on Hulk and break his leg during that match and then bring the WWF world title to the AWA with him. As you may remember, the iron sheet got his start in wrestling with Vern Gagne, but Hulkamania actually started in Vern Gagne's AWA. And now both the Sheik and Hulk Hogan have been recruited to the WWF by Vince McMahon. So Vern tried to call in a favor. Allegedly. When did you hear this story and, and what do you make of it? Well, I think the story had made the rounds big time uh, at that time. So 
It, it was one of those where there was smoke, there was probably fire. I've heard the story directly from the sheik. And sheik telling, you know, the, he was going in and everyone knew that Hulk was going to be the guy. Vern was pissed off that Hulk had left the AWA and gone to the evil New York Vince McMahon motherfucker. So Vern was upset and, and the, I don't know whether it actually happened or not, but legend has it that, you know, Sheik was offered a lot of money to humiliate and break, break Hulk's leg. Cause if he wanted to break Hulk's leg, there wasn't much Hulk was going to be able to do about it. And I think Hulk would tell you that as well. But Sheik went to Vince beforehand and said, Mr. Vince, you're so good to the Sheik. You take care. You make a champion. I beat Jabroni Bob Backland. I know break his neck. I know break Hulk Hogan's leg. I put Jabroni over for love of you. And you take care of Sheiky. And that's how the story goes. And Vince, you know, has even told me the story about Sheik coming to him before and Sheik wondering, I mean, or Vince wondering, is Sheik telling me this now to hold me up? Right. And say, okay, I'll put him over, but I need X amount of money. And Sheik didn't do that. Sheik just told him, he goes, I just want you to know. Uh, before I go in the ring, yes, I was approached and yes, I was offered money, but I, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go out and do my job and I'm going to put Hogan over. That's your brony. Oh, fuck him. All right, Bruce, let's take our last time out right now to talk about your new year's resolutions to save money and get out of debt. I can make both happen right now at SaveWithConrad.com. I know what you're thinking. I've checked into this before. I'm not sure if it makes sense. Stop that stinking thinking and just get a quick quote right now at savewithconrad.com. I've routinely helped our podcast listeners say five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. You see, once you owe this debt, it's up to you how to pay it back. Why would you not want to make sure that you had the lowest rate and the greatest tax deduction? And oh, by the way, you paid the least amount of interest. I'm not just talking about rate. I'm talking about total interest paid. And I'm talking to you specifically, if you're in a 30 year loan, you're overpaying your single biggest bill. And you may not even realize it. Want to do something scary? Take your monthly house payment. You know what it is by heart, punch it in a calculator times 360. That is how much you're paying for your house. And when you see that big, scary number, go right to savewithconrad.com. I'm going to show you how to pay less for your house. I'm going to show you how to pay your house off faster. I'm going to show you how to do it with cheaper monthly payments. This isn't some Papa Shango nonsense voodoo. No, no. These are just math techniques that I've developed that I know work that will save you money. If you're serious about getting out of debt, you have got to have a plan to pay your house off. Nobody talks about that anymore, but the reality is the reason student loan debt is on the rise is because moms and dads aren't paying their houses off. They're starting over with a new 30 year loan over and over and over. And the result is kids get saddled with student loan debt. And how many people do we all know in our real life who are working past the age of 62 or 65? Let me assure you, they're probably not doing that to make their Lexus payment. It's because they still have a mortgage payment. Make a plan to get out of debt faster and do it with cheaper monthly payments. Spend 10 minutes with me right now. And I'm telling you, you won't regret it. 
It all happens at SaveWithConrad.com. It's no cost, no obligation. Even credit scores in the 500s will be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But oh, by the way, how's this for starters? No house payments for two months. If you haven't already, you don't have to make your January or your February payment. You're done until March. Even though it's against him, that feels like a move that Vince McMahon would at least respect. Like, Hey, they're trying to win at whatever cost. Yeah, it is. But also there, there's a, a sense of professionalism. Sure. And in the old days, man, the old timers that, that, that were tough and, and knew their way around, uh, I guess that maybe they could get away with it to a point. Um, but there's always somebody else tougher on the other side, somewhere down the, you know, you're, you're going to get your ass kicked and you're going to get taken out one way or another. And it was just better to be professional. If you didn't want to do it, then figure something else out. But that wasn't the case. And, um, she just wanted to clear the air to let everyone know that, uh, he was not there to hurt Hulk and he was there to do business and, and make this as big as he possibly could. Again, I know you weren't there, but I do want to ask about the way the title change happens. Was it done this way? Because you weren't exactly sure how committed to the Hulk Hogan movement you could be, and you didn't want to hurt Bob Backlund just in case. Is it more of uh, Backlund being old school and he didn't want to put over this new style performer? He maybe had more respect for the old school background of the Iron Sheik's amateur background, or why not? Why go about it this way? That it just makes sense to not split the audience and and have- it's a bigger win. It's a bigger win for Hulk Hogan and and All American and Hulkamania, what have you, American made to beat the evil Iron Sheik from Iran. So that that's why it was done so that it would be a, a heel victory and Hulk beating Bob Backlund. Bob still was very popular and there's going to be a big chunk of the audience that's going to say, fuck Hulk Hogan then. Right. Well, I just asked because it does feel like, man, he's out of here uh, fairly quickly. Uh, I think it's his last match in August of 84. You know, once, once Hogan's the champ, it feels like Backlund is yesterday's news and, and almost the same could be said about the iron Sheik. Of course, he's going to have a series of matches with Hulk across the country, but then pretty, pretty quickly, he's going to form a tag team with Volkov and they're managed by classy Freddie Blassie. What did you, how do you break down, you know, the Sheik's role in this transitional champion, right spot, right time. I mean, could he have had a more sustained run. I know it was a baby face territory and you guys, you know, for years and years kept the title on the baby face, not the heel, but in a, in a traditional sense, how do you think he would have done as the WWF world champion with a more long-term run? Well, he probably would have done very well. The whole reason for even bringing him in and doing the title switch the way that they did was to get Hulk Hogan over. And that's what they did. So they used Iron Sheik, and then you have the credibility of the Sheik being an amateur and an Olympian, Panamarian champion, all this other shit that the Sheik has done, you know, real credentials. Now he has the credentials of being a former WWE champion, and to that audience, that was a huge deal. And it made you made two stars in that process. 
you got your brand new baby face over in Hulk and you created a formidable opponent and foreign terror in the iron Sheik. Let's talk about uh, Freddie Blassie. I don't know when we'll talk about him again. You got any good Freddie Blassie stories you can share with us? None that I can tell on the damn, uh, I, I've, I've told the tanning bed one Yes, where he got, he got stuck and, and you know, going back to, I got many compliments from people who tried the Randy Savage tips that I gave on tanning. Spread Those originally out. came from Freddie Blassie folks, keeping your fingers spread and getting your arms up and all that good stuff. You ain't going to keep your arms up. Goddamn right. Cocksucker. Um, all that goes back to Freddie Blassie, the tannest man in the building. Uh, Freddie was just great to me. Fred was a class act and just, just very good to me and my family. And I could sit and listen to Fred Blassie stories all day long. But as far as a human being and a person, um, and a talent, Fred Blassie, there will never be another, he was top notch. Let's keep it rolling here. Uh, this duo is going to defeat the U S express, which is Wyndham and Rotundo at WrestleMania one to win the tag titles. They lose them back a few months later in June. And around this time, Sheik appears in the music video. Uh, Goonies are good enough. It's Cindy Lauper's and it's part of the, uh, rock and wrestling connection. And the iron Sheik character is not just in this music video. It's also regularly seen in cartoon form. Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling. And he's, uh, voiced by a different American actor there. But this is, uh, this is a hot time to be in the business. This is before you're there, but man, while anybody is talking about in wrestling is how big this has gotten and how much the boys are making and the iron cheeks right in the middle to the point that Arn Anderson hears, and we've recently talked about this on his podcast, the cheek was getting 80 grand a quarter just from his LJN action figure, which is pretty remarkable. When it's yeah, it's probably about right. I mean, the guys were making big money in Sheik and Volkoff were the original heels right. in that group to actually have action figures, which some people thought, oh my God, you can't have heels, but the baby faces needed somebody to beat up, to beat up in, in this whole thing. And I always have to laugh and forgive me if I've told the story on the podcast before, but I remember sitting in, in a booking meeting with Bill Watts and Ernie Ladd in Bixby, Oklahoma. And we were in Bill's office down at the end of the table. And it was during a time that Bill was still just trying to replace, recreate, re-whatever he was trying to do when, since he had lost the junkyard dog. And Ernie was chastising Bill and telling him, Bill, you can't recreate something. You can't recreate something, the magic that JYD had. You got to come up with something new. You know, you look at what Vince McMahon in New York are doing right now. Vince McMahon is a genius. I'm telling you, Bill, he's a genius. Look at what he's got. He got Volkoff and he got the Iron Sheik. You know why they work? You know why they work, Bill? Because they're real. They're real. People know that they're real. It's a real thing. And he's got the foreign tears. Vince McMahon is a genius. I know. He fired my ass. The man is a genius. And in this whole tirade, I just start laughing because all I can hear out of the whole thing is Vince McMahon is a genius because he fired Ernie Ladd's ass. Tremendous. And that's how Vince fired me, actually, the first time. So, Bruce, in the immortal words of Ernie Ladd, the man is a genius. I'm fired. 
<sighs> well, let's keep it moving here. In storyline, uh, Blassie is going to sell the contracts for Sheik and Nicolata Slick. So now Slick is their new manager. Uh, but this doesn't last a long time because unfortunately, some bad news is coming. May of 87, Sheik and Jim Duggan are pulled over by the New Jersey State Police on their way to a WWF event, and they suspect Duggan of DUI. And after they search the vehicle and the persons, they discover that Duggan was under the, un- under the influence, but apparently of marijuana, and they believe that the Iron Sheik was using cocaine. Small amounts of cocaine were also found in the vehicle, and Duggan receives a conditional release while Sheik is placed on probation for a year you had just gotten to the WWF, I guess to give the context to this, uh, the iron Sheik is of course, you know, this, uh, this evil foreigner, he's a heel and the all American Jim Duggan is of course a baby face. And now they've been caught together. Meltzer would write as most of you have probably already heard the biggest news of the week comes from Titan land at two twenty this past afternoon, May 26th. Jim Duggan and the Iron Sheik were arrested on drug charges. The two were driving through Middletown, New Jersey, en route to a card that night in Asbury Park when the state troopers pulled them over as they saw Duggan drinking a bottle of beer while driving. While walking to the car, the officers caught a scent of burned marijuana cigarettes and upon inspection found several joints in the ashtray of the car. Duggan was found with a small amount of marijuana while three grams of cocaine was found in the Sheik's shaving kit. Duggan was released later that day on his own recognizance while Sheik was released after posting a $5,000 bond. And the two worked against each other later that night in a tag match, which ended when Duggan hit Sheik several times with a chair leading to the pin. And unfortunately this incident got considerable news play in major cities, including a two page article in the New York daily news, lots of play on television news in many cities and a mention in the national wires. And even in the USA today. The incident has proven to be a big embarrassment for Titan since Duggan and Sheik are in the midst of a heavily pushed feud. And it came out to the public that not only were they traveling together, but presumably doing drugs together as well. The news reports all but stated that both Duggan and Sheik have been suspended by Titan. Actually, they were both fired. And from what I understand, it is highly unlikely that Sheik will ever work for Titan again. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what you remember about this, because this is maybe the biggest news of the year so far in the wrestling world. Oh my God. You know, you're coming off of the success of WrestleMania three, 93,000 people and setting records and doing all this shit. And that that's in March. And now here you are in may and Duggan has just gotten started and they're looking for big things out of hacksaw, Jim Duggan. And she had been around for a while and it was, it was devastating. It was devastating to the company. It was devastating to those guys. Um, and you know, not that it wasn't devastating to Sheik, but just so much more to Jim because he had just gotten started here. He started <laughs> just to put it in perspective. He's 33 here at the arrest and Iron Sheik is 44. Yeah. But you know, it was here. This was, I think people were looking for Hacksaw Duggan to be the next Hulk Hogan in, in many respects. So it just all going down, going down the toilet at this point. And this was during time that we were still working with Paul Bosch and making the trips up. I don't even think I had officially moved to Connecticut yet at this point and getting this news and having to deal with it. Um, 
was not was not a lot of fun. And that was something that people all used to that the old story. Oh my god, Wesley's not real. They travel together. Um for no one that has any anything else better to do, that was the lead. And that's how I went into it. Like no one knew that wrestling was entertainment. And oh yeah, it was a miserable time. Talk to me about Vince's reaction. You know, I, I imagine that he's over the fucking moon, livid and, cu- and, and cutting promos and firing motherfuckers and then telling everybody else never say their names again. They'll never work here again. They never existed. Was that basically the gist? No, it was, you know, guys, I, at the, at the time there was a feeling that, uh, cocaine was, was running rampant and it was like, okay, there, the perception from the audience was not just from the audience, but good God, you know, you had people in, in the white house and dare programs and, and there was a war on drugs. There, there really was. So cocaine was beginning to be frowned upon. And I think that Vince looked at this as an opportunity. If we have an issue, we have a problem with drugs in our locker room, then we need to look at it. We need to address it. So this was the impotence of, uh, of the first drug tests. And it was, it was confusing because I don't even think that as a company, they really knew what the extent of the drug tests were going to be and what have you. And they knew that, okay, guys, if you're doing illegal drugs, we can't do illegal drugs. Um, I don't think steroids weren't illegal at the time and, uh, obviously prescribed painkillers and shit like that, that those things weren't really an issue. The forefront was cocaine's this horrible drug. Cocaine's bad. And that was mainly what they were testing for, mainly what they were looking at at the time. And that's what resulted is from, from this whole arrest was that, um, Guys, you can't be doing cocaine and and going out and performing and shit. What do you think, so. Duggan? Let me read something Duggan wrote here. Uh, quote, I don't think I ever regained the momentum I would have had before the arrest with the Iron Sheik. I think I was on the fast track. I think I could have been world champion, intercontinental, or tag champion, but I never regained that momentum. And I think a lot of guys, it may have totally crushed their career but I was lucky enough to survive it and actually thrive after the arrest. And I know that feels if you are maybe a little younger and you know, the Jim Duggan, more comedy character, Jim Duggan was an ass kicker in bill Watts territory. And I do wonder what you think his upside could have been. Had it not been for this stutter step. I think that he could have been, you know, right up there in that, in a Randy Savage ultimate warrior role because Duggan, when he left mid South was just that hot and Duggan's lovable baby face is lovable human being. And that came across. So that big ass kicking lovable human being USA two by four wielding monster was relatable and the audiences just man they ate him up because he was believable he was big he was lovable and played his role very well well never say never 
That happens in May of 87. February 18th, the Iron Sheik is back, and he's going to defeat S.D. Jones on a house show in East Rutherford, New Jersey at the Meadowlands. He's going to stick around and wrestle house shows through February and March, and he's usually facing guys like Lanny Poffo or Ken Patera or Bam Bam Bigelow. He doesn't actually pop back up on TV until July 30th, where he defeats Scott Casey in a match that airs on primetime wrestling, and he'll continue to wrestle him that summer uh, and even eventually have some matches with the Red Rooster. But the commentary on his return is a little different than maybe the way he was presented before. There's lots of discussion about how he's gained weight and he's lost some of his mobility. Ultimately, does Vince just have a soft spot for the old timers? Was he appreciative for what he did with the whole Hogan Ganya thing? Why, what leads to him coming back here in 88? I think it was out of loyalty and I think it was out of uh, a thank you for the Sheik coming to him on the Burn Ganya stuff and dropping the title to Hulk and doing business. And Vince has got a soft spot for some guys. And one of them is, of course, the Iron Sheik. We should mention that uh, he's he's out of there not too terribly long. It's It's a very short return. He makes some uh, stops in world class for the AWA and even some shots in Puerto Rico, but finally lands in the NWA, uh, now WCW in 1989. His biggest moment there is probably at the Music City Showdown in a singles match with Sting. Uh, Jim Cornette has told the this story. It's pretty famous, I guess, that they brought him in and signed him for a year, but they forgot to give him a notice, so his contract automatically rolled over and renewed for another year. And, uh, Corny has said they tried to bring him back to do jobs, but he was just so bad that they thought it would be better just to send him home and pay him to not work. So not a bad gig if you can get it, but it's not the last we would hear the iron Sheik. Nay, nay. And this is what I remember him the most. He well, up. hang on, hang on. I got to go back to during that stint in WCW, we were, uh, it was a, like a holiday show, uh, in Houston. And I was there visiting family and what have you. And WCW was in town. Tom was, was in town. Uh, we were both home for Christmas and went down to go see the guys after the show at the, what is now, I think a quality Inn off of airport drive in Monroe. And they had a little bar in there with a dance floor. And I hadn't seen Sheik at this point in a little while, probably at least a year. But I'd gone in and said hello to everybody and was just going to have a drink or two when Sheik came in. And, oh, for to be a Mr. Bruce, I love so much. Yeah, come give Sheik a hug. And I gave Sheik a big hug and Sheik belly to belly suplexed me on the dance floor. So if you've um, ever been belly-to-belly suplexed uh, by someone who knows what the fuck they're doing and someone with the technique and the uh, just a guy like Iron Sheik suplexing you, it's one thing to get suplexed on the mat. It's another thing to get suplexed on the uh, dance floor. And Sheik took such good fucking care of me, and I barely felt a thing. But that was my greeting with Sheik after not seeing him for about a year. And then he proceeded to get me in a corner and just tell tell me how much I love Mr. Vince. You tell, you tell Mr. Vince, Baba, how much I love. I love him. I love Linda. I love Shane. 
I love the girl. I love them all. Yeah, Mr. Pat Patterson, you, I love Bruce, Bruce, I love you. And this went on for my, my one drink turned into two hours in a corner with Sheik, professing his love for everyone on the Northeast. But it was good times, and it was, and it was really nice to see Sheik, and I, he's, he's a special guy to me. I do want to ask about him coming back in 91. This is really when he's on my radar. Uh, March 11th, 1991, uh, he comes back on wrestling challenge here. He's Colonel Mustafa and he's aligned with the former enemy, Sergeant Slaughter. He's walking to the ring and has a different sort of movement, almost bushwhacker like March. Why, why come back here? Why rename him Colonel Mustafa? I think most wrestling fans at this era and this, you know, just a few years removed from the iron Sheik probably wonder why not just stick with that. What say you? Yeah, so did I, um, it was stacking the deck and it was is as many things as we could do to really make you hate Sergeant Slaughter. There was a, a portion of the audience that hated Sarge for being a turncoat. There was also a portion of the audience that some of that heat went to the company because it was like Sarge was all American GI Joe. So we needed as many people around him that you could hate. And the more credibility, the better, uh, you had Adnan who was legit Iraqi who legit, uh, was friends with, uh, Saddam Hussein. Uh, then you had the iron Sheik who was Iranian and that being put up there with Sarge, it just, it was a terrible trio that, um, two guys that could barely walk and work <laughs> and then, and then Sarge. So, but it was just stacking the deck and trying to get as much heat as you possibly could. And I never got the, I, I do get it, but I, I don't agree with it. The Colonel Mustafa was because you had general Adnan was, it, it was like an army. You had Sergeant Slaughter, general Adnan, you needed a Colonel in there. Hence Mustafa. Well, here he is. Um, how do you think he did? You know, I mean, it's not a terribly long run. We've talked a lot about, you know, this whole angle and, and what we thought of it and, and what you guys battled with it, but it only lasts roughly a year. And then he's out of there. I mean, is that about what you were thinking when you bring him back for this? Like we can squeeze a year out of this, or did you think there was more legs to it? And it just, just didn't work out. I was shocked. They got a year out of it to, to be blunt. It was. I, th yeah. I believe originally it was, let's see where this goes. We can use this going into WrestleMania and we can use this for a short term to just dump a little bit more heat on Sarge. Uh, I was shocked it lasted as long as it did. How do you think he did? Okay. I mean, limited. So you knew what you had going in. It wasn't like he could do a whole lot. You didn't have the chic of old, but it worked for adding more heat to Sarge. In 92, he tries his hand at a quote, shoot style wrestling ring in the UWFI in Japan. He loses by tap out in about five and a half minutes. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about the UWFI. 
tell everybody what that was supposed to be, what the concept was, and, and then what you thought of it. I don't even know what the fuck it was. I know that the guys that that tried to do it in, in many later years where they wanted to create work shoots, and there are those that believe, you know, this was all the shooter guys. It was it was a work. It was a work shoot. And they wanted to kind of have a UFC type promotion in Japan that it was like, okay, what they do is what they do, but what we do is real. And when the real guys get tired of doing the fake shit, they'll come over to here and, and we'll, you'll see a real fight. Um, but I, you know, I don't think that that it, it's tough to exist with the same, same groups doing two different things. If that makes, you know what I'm saying? Sure. Like here, what they're doing over here is, is fake. That's why I hate a brawl for all. Uh, what they're doing over here is like, what we're doing is real and you're using the same guys back and forth. It gets confusing for the audience. Uh, of course we know that, uh, the Sheik is going to pop back up. Uh, and, and I've always sort of been, been fascinated by how this happens, but 1997, he pops back up and, uh, he's managing tiger Ali Singh. I guess we should back up a little bit in 96. He's teaming with his old nemesis, Bob Backlund to manage the Sultan. And that goes until I guess late 97, but somewhere during the summer, uh, he starts managing unbelievably tiger Ali Singh, uh, with, uh, Ali's father, of course, tiger Jeet Singh. Uh, that doesn't last by the end of the year. He's failed another drug test and he's referred to it as his medicine test. And that was the reason he was let go. Well, okay. I got it since you brought it up and all the, the first drug test that Sheik ever failed. He was given the news and they said, Sheik, uh, I got some news for you. The results on your drug test came back positive. And Sheik reacts with just the so big, huge smile. Ah, a very good, a shiki, a very good drug test. It's a positive. Oh, I thank you. I tell you, a shiki did good. No, no, she, no, 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 no. Positive is bad. <laughs> positive means you had, you had drugs in your system. No, it's a positive. It's a good. And took a little explaining before he absolutely realize that no positive is bad. You, you can't do this. Yeah. Like a little language barrier there. A little bit. Talk to me about, uh, managing the Sultan. Of course we know the Sultan is eventually going to go on, uh, to, to be Rikishi. Um, what's the idea behind You know, is it just. God damn, this has always worked. Let's just get a more modern version. Let's have the old one manage him. Kind of. I mean, we were looking for something to completely hide uh, Junior, and and it just... Now, explain that. You, you, don't, you don't mean hide for any other reason than people know him as a head shrinker. People know him as yes. an islander. You don't want him to be totally recognizable, so let's come up with a way out there gimmick because he can still go. He just, you know, has been right. branded differently. Yeah. So shave his head, put a partial mask on him and go from there and then surround him with enough distractions that you aren't going to realize it. 
But there were there were high hopes. There were high hopes for the Sultan. Why ultimately don't you think it worked out? I don't think that I don't think Rikishi's um heart was in it. And the you know, when when you say you want to dump a lot of heat and you want a lot of distractions, the distractions unfortunately distracted too much and it was a bad distraction. Let's talk a little bit about um Tiger Ali Singh. I don't know when we'll talk about him again. We've always teased a little bit here and there. Not uh maybe not the best creative. Maybe not the best performer. Why didn't it well, work? Well, creative was great. The performing was was terrible. It just we, you know, we didn't that's one where we were sold a bill of goods and we didn't do our homework. That's I can raise my hand and go, God damn it. You know, I watched and Ali is the one that I point to for the most part of, I stopped watching. If somebody sent me highlight tapes, I threw them in the trash. I want to see matches. I want to see promos. I don't want to see a fucking, uh, ECW music video. I want to see what you can do. I want to see you sell. I want to see you lose. I want to see how you, how you do a job. Um, I want to see you do everything you do, not just a highlight tape of your best moments. Of your best and that's moves. What we, but it, it, you're really referencing moves. A lot of guys would try to put a slick production factor to it. They'd put music to it. They'd put graphics to it. And it's just hotspot, hotspot, hotspot. But you want to see transitions and the little nuance stuff, right? Exactly. I want to see what they can do in um, game day conditions. So Ali was was one of those that uh, had beautifully prepared uh, highlight tapes that we were looking at each other. Vince and I are looking at each other, going, "Good God, how in the hell did we miss this guy?" And once we got him, we found out pretty quickly why we missed him because he just, he was all hype. He wasn't the old man. You know, the old man had charisma and the old man had a, a, a violence to him and, and an air to him that we talk about heels. People were genuinely scared of people were genuinely scared of tiger, uh, Jeet Singh, but, Tiger Ali Singh did not have the same kind of charisma and aptitude for the business, in my opinion, that his dad did. It's just interesting that that one flopped. Um, you know, any other interesting stories you can mention about Sheik during 1997, you know, whether it's with Sultan or road stories or traveling or feedback on Tiger Ali or any little details about 97. Yeah, it, it just was a it was an uncomfortable it was an uncomfortable time because it was a perfect example of just time and the business passing people by and this was the watershed moment for Iron Sheik where you go, all right, man, um, damn, guys, I I don't know what to do with you. You you can't cut a promo. You can barely walk to the ring anymore, and. It's not good. Uh, so we just had to, we had to cut bait and, and just move on as hard as that is to do because of the feelings that, that Vince had for him personally. And, and there was still that, 
personal personal connection that Vince always appreciated what guys had done for him early on and wanted to take care of him. But putting him on air was a detriment to the product and to himself. Well, you guys allowed him the opportunity to come back. WrestleMania 17. He's in the gimmick battle Royal. He lasts eliminates Hillbilly Jim and he wins it. But you've got an interesting perspective on maybe why Sheik won this one. Well, the best part of that day, I think was Kurt Angle and Kurt Angle, 1996 Olympic gold medalist who beat the Iranian. And as soon as Sheik arrived, he was like, where, where is this jibroni a gold medal? Kurt Angle. Hey, hey, he, he, my man, my man, my boy, I train. And Kurt Angle, he gets gold medal when the Iranian, my trainee, should have got that one. And, of course, as soon as Sheik starts this, there are certain people who just start poking the bear with Kurt. Go, hey, Kurt, yeah, man, Sheik's looking for you. He's going to stretch your ass because... You cheated against uh, his protege in the Olympics. And Kurt's like, oh, fuck. Come on, man. And Kurt is so respectful. And just he's excited to meet the Sheik. But at the same time, he's like, oh, God, is he really as crazy as you guys say? So he's excited at first. And we're in catering. And I I come walking Sheik over. I said, uh Sheik, Kurt Angle, Kurt, Kaiser Rosario. Ah, for to, to go to meet you, so great to meet you, uh, Mr. Kurt Angle. I, I humble myself to you. You know, my man, <laughs> he goes right into the fucking Olympic match. And he just he just kept on and he wouldn't let go. And, and Kurt had a match he was trying to get, and we were trying to get the, the Battle Royal put together and what have you. And the reason, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll say it is the reason Sheik won the damn thing. My opinion is, is who the hell he couldn't get over the top rope. It took him 45 minutes to get to the ring. Yeah. And you know, nobody was gonna, I don't think he could have gotten over the, the top rope safely. And, and that was obviously again, long before, we had our medical protocols and, and what have you, where somebody tells you they're good to go in the ring. Okay, let's put them in the ring. So, you know, we had those situations going on with guys that probably should not have been in the ring, probably me included. Um, no, nah, I was fine. I was great. God damn, I should have won that motherfucker. Okay. But it was just a lot of fun to put it together. I think that Sheik felt, what else would you do, Baba, other than put the Sheiky over of course, I earned Sheik win. I, I will go shoot and throw out all the jabronis. But that's that's what it was. That was a lot of fun. And then actually, Sheik told me <laughs> before he went out to the ring, he goes, oh, Baba, you stay, you stay close to me. I make sure no one fuck with you. And I got as far away from him as I possibly could because I was afraid he was going to grab hold of me and kill me. Well, it was a big day to celebrate. He goes into the hall of fame in 2005, his old rival, Sergeant Slaughter inducts him. what do you think of Sheik's induction speech? It was true. Sheik, man. It was, I think what everyone expected. And you, you know, sometimes you, 
you pay for what you get. And that, that was the sheet. But I also, when you look back at people that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, man, Sheik is one of those guys that I'm glad that he got his just due in the Hall of Fame. Without question, uh, a bona fide Hall of Famer. We know that uh, he's going to pop up a little bit here and there, including in 2007. He appears on Raw with uh, Jimmy Snuka. It's a tape segment where they're showing their appreciation for Vince McMahon. And uh, on August 13th, he does a. Uh, a WWE version of American Idol where Volkov's going to come out and sing the Soviet anthem. And of course he supports him there and he pops up again in 08 and 09 and 10. It feels like, you know, every year or every, every other year, Vince McMahon was finding a way to just pay homage to the iron Sheik. but somewhere along the way, he made a fairly random appearance on Howard Stern and it gave him like a new life. What do you remember about that appearance and the crazy catchphrases coming out of it and, and all that you guys were seeing from afar? Well, I think that there was, uh, there were rumors, you know, that she could maybe, uh, been dabbling, maybe drinking a little bit too much and, and dabbling in the recreational drugs again. And, and it was kind of sad from an outside viewpoint looking in because, you feel for the guy and he truly is someone that I respect when you look back at his life and everything that he has done in his life from a small child and growing up in Iran and becoming a champion wrestler, becoming the bodyguard to the Shah of Iran, escaping Iran and making a name for himself all over the world, a, a, a huge name in an industry filled with huge names to this day, people still, he's at the top of that list. So I have the utmost respect for him. And I just thought, look, I'm not a big Howard Stern fan in the first place. So I just thought that they kind of took advantage of him. And it was, it was an opportunity to do the things that we have fun with, with Sheik. And I will humble you and fuck you, Brian Blair in the ass. Um, Brian Blair doesn't even know where that came from, which is great. Uh, but Sheik pissing himself and all that and, and exploiting that, uh, I just, personally, I didn't like it. It does. Yes, it was notoriety, and yes, it got his name out there, and yes, people had a good laugh. Personally, I didn't like it. He does uh, land some some managers who who think, hey, there's some money in this, and he would start to do comedy club tours and made some appearances on the cartoon network. And, um, you know, I mean, he became a little bit of a, an internet sensation there for a while. And there was even a documentary a few years ago, which I believe is available on Amazon. And I recommend everybody check out and all the greats pay homage, you know, from Jim Ross to the rock and everybody in between. We should mention he married uh, Carol Peterson back in 76. He was the best man, uh, or the best man at the wedding rather was, uh, Gene Okerlund which uh, is kind of funny to me. Cause I don't remember Sheik ever saying his name, right? He, he always said Gene mean, I think. Uh, Gene mean. Yeah. So, uh, interesting character to say the least. He's got three grown daughters, five grandchildren. Um, several years ago, you know, they, uh, they put that movie, I guess it's six years ago. Now they put together the documentary 
that we mentioned, uh, I think it's on Amazon now. It's the Iranian legend, the Iron Sheik story. Really, really well done. Talk to me a little bit about Sheik the person. You know, we talk about his wife and his kids and uh, Gene Mean being his best man. That's a side of Sheik that I don't think a lot of people know. Yeah, and there was a there was this incident in Sheik's life where his his daughter was murdered in a in a horrible horrible crime that. I think that was the deciding factor where she kind of went, went over the edge and, and just never recovered from that, which I can't imagine. I don't, I don't know how someone, uh, don't know how I would deal with anything like that happening. And, and she dealt with it and he's had, uh, just an incredible, incredible story and incredible life. And then to have that kind of tragedy in it, um, it can be overwhelming no matter who the hell you are. So as far as Sheik and as far as some of the just not international stars that have, that have come through the business, I think that Sheik is one of those that stands head and shoulders above the rest because of everything that he did overcome and made a huge name for himself and was able to, to prosper in a place where he probably wasn't supposed to. And, you know, from a atmosphere and from a home life in, in Iran, where I think a lot of people, uh, didn't have the ability to get out like he did. And he's a, he's an incredible story, man. And, and it's, it's one that is a little unbelievable, but the crazier it is, it's the truth. It's just, it's just the truth. And it's, it's a testament to who he is as a human being. One of the most loving, great, uh, to this day, if he is at a convention, uh, like an autograph signing deal, and Sheik's there, no matter what I'm doing, where I am, I I have to go and, and kiss the ring. And just you, you have to go and say hello to Sheik and, and give him a hug and let him know you love him. Because I do. What do you think his... Uh his legacy will be in the business. Do you think it'll be what he did in the ring as more of a, a manager or a ringside second or some of this pop culture stuff that's happened over the last decade or so? I think that the Sheik overall will be remembered as one of the greatest heels in the wrestling business. And from the early boom of the Hulkamania years, uh, Saturday night's main event and what have you, Sheik was probably one of the most recognizable uh, bad guys the business has ever had. Talk to me about, you know, the, uh, even the phrase is weird now, but the quote unquote foreign heel, he's got to be, you know, near the top of the list. Where would you rank him all time? Oh, probably number one. It's really hard to argue. You know, I I was thinking about that beforehand and every time I kept going, well, he's got to be number one. I thought, well, that just can't be. I mean, what about this guy or that guy? But realistically, I can't come up with a name that's bigger than the iron cheek as a, as a quote unquote evil foreign heel. Right. And, and it was, is Ernie Ladd said he's real. You got to believe him because he's real. Well, I believed him and I hope you guys did too. Uh, we wanted to pay homage to one of the all time greats and celebrate his big title win, even though it was short lived, uh, it, it paved the way for Hulkamania man. And you know, I think legends like the iron cheek. Uh, should be celebrated. And I hope that he's, uh, he's one, 
What the hell is that? Hey, I have a, I have an actual hard line in my house, Conrad. I know. I was really. Do you know what that is? Yeah, I mean, I think they. Used I think to that's do... the first time it's ever rang. Is everything okay? Is that Vince? Is he wondering why you're not working this half hour too? Probably. <laughs> Well, sounds like I, I, he doesn't have this number. Cause I don't think I have this number. sounds like uh, Bruce has to go, but tune in next week, new year's revolution, 2005 on deck. It's a brand new year. It's a brand new something to wrestle every single Friday, right here on Westwood one, hit the subscribe button, leave us a five-star review. If you think we've earned it by all means, please do us a favor and go subscribe to our YouTube channel. Lots of fun clips coming your way there. And if you haven't already. Tell a friend about something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. And I truly can't thank everyone enough. It has been just incredible. And I'm so excited about 2020 and the new year. And thank you guys for coming along for the ride. So Shaka Khan, I'm going to go have lunch with Pasha Villa. Biash. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.